If you have a Bible with you this morning, we'll be looking at the first three Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, as I say to you, hear the word of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would come and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would um, come and you would help us to understand what it means to, to live our best life, what it means to live the life that you actually intend for us to live. And I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In your name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. As we jump into the Sermon on the Mount, as the first three Beatitudes, the question I'm going to start with this morning for you is basically this. Have you ever tried, tried something or tried out for something um, and failed? Have you ever tried out for something or tried something and just not made the cut? Right? I remember one of my biggest shameful experiences, at least it felt at the time, I was in the Army and I was in a ranger battalion, and what they used to do is, is the army, instead of sending us all to different schools, they would bring different schools to the ranger battalion, and in 1986, I think it was, they brought scout swimmer and demolition, right? Scout swimmers, like, that's what you see on all the commercials where the guys come up out of the water, you know, and it's like, ooh, everyone wanted to do that, including me. And I remember at the time, my platoon sergeant, whose name was also Alan, he said, Alan, I think you ought to do demolitions. And I said, I want to be a scout swimmer, sergeant. And he said, well, you can try out if you want. So there were 60 or 70 of us guys, and the tryout was pretty straightforward. You had to swim 2,000 meters around an Olympic-sized pool wearing all of your clothes while holding a rifle. And you know what? I made it. I did it. I, I, I swam 2,000 meters in all my clothes holding a rifle. The problem is is that I came in dead last. I mean dead last. I wasn't just last. I mean like other guys were out of the pool and dry and I was still going. And I got out of the water like I made it and I started heading over toward the rest of the guys and the instructor grabbed me. Mm -mm -mm -mm. I said, what is it, Sergeant? I made it. I swam to it. He said, Alan, you're just not strong enough. Sorry, you, you, you don't make the cut. And I remember being all hangdog, and I went back, and Sergeant Allen said, well, I guess that means you have to do demolitions. Now, the happy part of that story is apparently I'm good at blowing up stuff because I was the honor graduate of that, but that's a different story. The point is, is that feeling of just that when you don't make the cut, how you just feel like ashamed almost, and you feel like, wow, like, what am I supposed to do? Now here, if you've ever felt that, if you feel like that right now, I have good news for you. Because the audience, the intended audience for the Sermon on the Mount are people who didn't make the cut. Or at least people who feel like they didn't make the cut. Or people who, according to the religious, people, the, the religious uh, traditions of the day, didn't make the cut. I mean, so th think about this for a minute. So the, in the first four chapters of Matthew, Matthew spends the first four chapters likening Jesus to be the new Moses, 
right? There are all these similarities between Jesus and Moses that Matthew points out, right? Both of them were born after a a supernatural dream came to their fathers, and both of them after, shortly after their births, there was a slaughter of the innocents, right? And remember, both of them, Jesus and Moses had to flee from their home where they were born, and eventually they would return. Moses was the, the savior and the deliverer and the redeemer of Israel, And we would see that Jesus would come as this new Moses, as the the fulfiller of Moses, and he would be the savior and the redeemer of the whole world. Now, here's, here's the thing. Imagine that you're a Pharisee, you're one of the religious elite, and you've spent your whole life in Torah obedience, right? You, you've spent your whole life just built around being obedient to all the stuff that Moses wrote, and now here comes the one who would fulfill all of the promises about this new Moses, and you wouldn't, you'd not expect him to immediately bless you. Right? You would expect the new Moses to come and say, blessed are you who have spent your whole lives obeying the Torah. Blessed are you who have made the cut. And Jesus, the new Moses, comes and says the exact opposite. Jesus says, blessed are you who didn't make the cut. Blessed are you who, 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 who sort of have this feeling of shame, like you know you're not worthy and you know you don't make the cut. Now here's the only prerequisite for the blessing is you've actually got to acknowledge that. You have to acknowledge that you don't make the cut. Isn't that wild? Like the, the way that you, you make the cut is by acknowledging that you don't make the cut. So this morning, we're gonna look at the first three Beatitudes and really at some level, they're all about that. They're all about humility. They're all about um, the way that we live our best life is almost the exact opposite of what you would hear prosperity preachers say. It's not about being good and claiming things, but in fact, it's about being who you are and admitting who you are. And so as we enter in, right, all of the Beatitudes, we're going to look at the first three today. All of the Beatitudes start with this word blessed, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And I just want to remind you, we talked about it last week by way of introduction, that the blessing here, when when Jesus says blessed... It's not the kind of blessing like sort of God's blessing them, right? Or God's giving them approval. It's the kind of blessing that's associated with wisdom. It's the kind of blessing that is is associated with fullness and wholeness and shalom. It's the kind of blessing that that is the answer to the question that the the ancient Greeks asked and the Persians asked. Everyone in history has asked, what does it mean to live the good life? Or what does it mean to live my best life? And Jesus is saying here, your best life starts with being poor in spirit. That's the blessing he is talking about. So there's three things we're going to look at. Basically, the three Beatitudes are the three points. And so let's look at the first Beatitude. He says in the first Beatitude, the the beginning of the whole sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So on one hand, like if you read, the, the, there's a version of the Sermon on the Mount in Luke, probably a different sermon that Jesus preached, and there Luke just says, blessed are the poor. And some people have tried to make that out to say what Jesus really means here is that the poor are especially blessed. People who don't have any money and who can't feed their kids and who don't have a job and are constantly wondering where their next meal is going to come from are especially blessed. I don't think that's what he means. Because I've grown up that way, and it didn't feel like we were very blessed. It's, it's got to be something at least that but bigger. 
And if you look at the Old Testament, how the Old Testament refers to the poor, sometimes it means people who don't have financial resources, but oftentimes it means people who are lowly and humble and people who feel like they are broken and they are helpless. You often read in the Psalms, it'll say, this poor man. And he's not saying, I didn't have any money. He is basically, it's a, it's a profession, it's a confession of his lowliness and his confession of his unworthiness. And so we talk about being poor in spirit. What Jesus is saying, essentially, is that your best life starts, the very first thing, your best life starts with confession. It starts with a confession of your weakness. It starts with a confession of your brokenness. It starts with a confession of your unworthiness before God. It starts with a confession that you are not, things are not the way they are supposed to be in your relationship with God, with other people, and even with creation. Are you willing to, to confess that? See, the, the interesting thing, um, that basically we're, often we're afraid to admit our sins. Right? Have you ever gotten in a fight with somebody and you can tell they know they're wrong, but they won't admit it? Right? That never happened in my family. I never do that for sure. Now, what's, what's interesting about that is each of these Beatitudes comes, the, the second part of the Beatitude addresses the, the, the concern that the first would raise. In other words, if Jesus just said, blessed are the poor in spirit, in other words, blessed are those who see themselves as lowly and unworthy and all of these kinds of things, if that's all he said and he just stopped there, I don't know if it, 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 how easy it would be to believe him. Because all the religious people, everything around me says, no, blessed are the people who are strong. Blessed are the people who have their act together. You know, blessed are the people who have, who have a great to-do list and have great productivity skills and all of these things. Blessed are those people but not me. And what Jesus does with the second part of each one is he he affirms to us, no, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are willing to admit who they are, who are willing to admit these things because yours is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, when we confess that Jesus, we are unworthy, we confess our sins, what we hear from Jesus back in summary is this, congratulations, you're the very person I came to save. If you read the Gospels, Jesus says over and over again, I did not come to save the righteous. I came to save sinners. It's not the well who need a doctor. It is the sick who need a doctor. And the only way you get better is you have to go to the doctor and admit that you are sick and admit that things aren't right. And it's a little bit, there's, there's a little bit more to it that because this whole sermon starts with confession, which is interesting to me because a lot of people you meet who are not Christians say, well, I just try and live by the Sermon on the Mount. I don't believe that. Or if they, they do, I don't know that they've ever read it. Because the whole thing starts, the whole sermon starts with an admission that you are sick and need a doctor. And it's not just an admission or a confession But the next step in the process, if you will, is contrition, right? He goes from saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom, to the second beatitude in which he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In in, in other words, our best lives begin not just by confessing our sins and our weakness and our helplessness, but being moved by it. In other words, are our hearts broken by our own brokenness our hearts broken by our separation from God and other people that's what Jesus is getting at here and confession without contrition 
If, if you can confess your sins, but you're not moved by your sins, says that you probably really don't understand your sins very well. I don't know about you guys, when I was growing up, I was the oldest child. And I was the oldest child. I had three younger sisters. My mom worked two or three jobs all the time. There was no dad around. So that left me in charge pretty often. And I can remember like trying to get my sisters to do things or calling them on things or, or, or pointing out something that they didn't do right. And they would respond, oh, Mr. Perfect. I'm just a horrible person. I can't do anything right. You're Mr. Perfect. And that would infuriate me. Why? Because they really didn't feel like they were the worst person. They were just saying that to get me off of their back. They were just saying that not to deal with the problem, but actually to dismiss the problem and avoid it. You see, it's one thing to confess your sins. It's one thing to say, oh, I'm the worst sinner who ever lived. Oh, blah, blah, blah. It's another thing to actually be moved by your sins. To be moved by the fact that in and of ourselves, we're hopeless and helpless and powerless. Now, here's the thing. If we, we mourn over our sins, if we are, feel them, if we, we embrace them, and we own them, what's the promise? Is it that we'll be comforted? And this, this isn't the, 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 the mourning over bereavement, or, but rather the sorrow over sins. And it's, it's not the, the, the mourning over a lost loved one. It's the, it's the mourning over lost innocence. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. You will be living your best life. Get this. The, 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 the most happy you will be is if you are sad about the things of, 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 about you that are broken. In other words, in order to be happy, in order to be blessed, in order to live your best life, at some point you've got to be sad. But you've got to be sad over the right things. Are you sad over your sins and brokenness and helplessness in and of yourself? So the first beatitude starts with confession. We've got to confess who we are. The second beatitude says not only should we confess our sins and our brokenness, but we should be moved by it. And the third beatitude basically takes us to the next place where it basically says that if you confess your sins and your brokenness and you're moved by your sins and your brokenness, you cannot help but be changed. You can't help but be changed by the gospel ultimately. Notice what Jesus says. In the next beatitude, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, what is meekness? Right? You probably heard of sermons on this. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness at some level is self-effacement. Right? The meekness is the giving up of our rights. Meekness is letting, put, putting the rights and the concerns and the needs of other people ahead of us. Where meekness is most often it's, it's most obvious, is actually in very strong people. Because if someone is, is very strong, it's obvious when they don't force their will on another person, when they maybe su submit to another person. A picture of meekness, I spent, you know, I was in my office this week. Have you ever seen, like, the, the, there's, they're, told, they're complete Instagram accounts and YouTube channels about enormous dogs playing with babies? And some of them are just the cutest thing in the world, and these dogs, you can't, I just, it, it's like, okay, that's like a 100-pound pit bull letting that, the, the kid ride him and pull his ears. That's meekness. That's meekness. 
Now, the interesting thing is that ultimately, um, Jesus refers to himself as meek. Did you know that? You see, the, 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 the reason that we can be poor in spirit is because Jesus himself became poor in spirit on our behalf. Jesus took all those sins that we confess, all those things that we admit, and he takes them onto himself, and he becomes poor in spirit so that we can have his blessing. Now, he also is meek. Remember, Samuel preached on this passage a few weeks ago from Matthew chapter 11, 28. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Where the, the word gentle there, in a lot of translations, it's the same word as meek earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. If you read the King James Version, which many of you probably don't, um, it's the, the word meek is there. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, or I am meek, and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That what's the point here is that Jesus is is he was meek on our behalf. That Jesus comes and he says, if you want rest, if you want rest for your souls, come to me. And what it means to come to come to Jesus in that situation is basically, are you going to give up your your need for control? Are you going to give up your need uh, to be right? Are you going to give up your your need to actually be in charge of everything and to have everything sort of serve you if you want rest for your soul come to jesus and give that to him and there's a sense here of trusting god with injustice right every day we face uh, indignities and injustices and the question is are we going to be meek are we meek and let those things go Right? For me, it's driving in the left lane behind a Prius that won't move over, right? Am I going to just, like, let it go? That's a minor injustice compared to big things that go on in the world, right? Persecution of Christians in Africa, which happens all the time. Are they meek? Are they going to let God address the injustice? You see, it'd be easy for me to just say that you guys need to leave here and be meek. You need to leave here and give up your rights. But the good, nice thing about the gospel is the gospel accomplishes that for us. In other words, how are we, what enables us to be meek is the fact that Jesus has been meek on our behalf. Let me read you 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this. Peter's talking about suffering. And he says... For to this you have been called, suffering and enduring injustices. He says, for this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Then when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin, and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. On one hand, Jesus gives us an example of bearing through injustice. Right? It says that he entrusted himself to, to him who judges justly. That's the example. That when we bear injustice, that when we, we are struggling with being meek, we trust ourselves to him who judges justly. 
Now, the, the thing is, is Jesus didn't just leave us an example, but he actually did that for us and on our behalf. It says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, the Sermon on the Mount isn't just about like, okay, here's all the ways you fail, and because of that, you need the gospel. That's part of it. But it's also because of the gospel, we can now confess our sins and not be afraid. Because of this thing called the gospel, because of Jesus' work on the cross, we can not only confess our sins, but we can be moved by them. And not only can we be moved by our sins, but we can actually be meek. We can actually give up our rights. We can actually put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. We can actually do these things because Jesus has done them for us, and it's his power at work in us that begins to, to bring that change about. Now, it's interesting because basically the challenge of meekness, at least if you're me, is that you're going to lose something, right? That you're not going to get credit for something or that you might, you, you might lose your standing in something if you put someone else ahead of yourself, right? Or, or that it, if you don't let someone out in traffic, you're going to get home like 30 seconds later than you would have otherwise. Something like that. There's always this fear you're going to lose something with meekness. And that, I, I can imagine, you, so you're having this conversation with Jesus, and he says, blessed are the meek. And you say, oh, I don't know about that. I'm afraid I might lose credit for, you know, the, this sermon I preached or this article I wrote or something. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for you will inherit the earth. In other words, the fear of meekness is that I might lose something. And Jesus says, the blessing of meekness is that you get everything. The whole world, the earth, ultimately, will be the possession of the meek. You know, and that whenever I read that passage, it always reminds me of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The original one, not the bogus remake. Remember the star of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is this little kid, Charlie Bucket. And at the beginning of this tour, all these horrible children and Charlie are given an everlasting gobstopper. And there was Slugworth, the villain, has whispered in their ears that if you give me that gobstopper, I'll make you rich. And all of the kids like sort of look around when they get that gobstopper because they're gonna, they know what they're going to do. But as they, they go through this tour, all of the kids, like basically it looks like they die. I don't think they ultimately die. But they're horrible children, and they get what they deserve. Little Charlie Bucket, all he does, remember he and Grandpa Jack, they take a sip of fizzy lifting drinks and think, well, no one saw us, so it might, must not be a problem. And they get to the very end of the tour, and, and Willy Wonka's sitting in his office, and Charlie goes to collect his chocolate, and Willy Wonka says, you lose, Charlie. And Grandpa Jack starts yelling, right? Well, how, could you, how could he lose? He did everything right. And he said, no, you drank fizzy lifting drinks. And remember, he pulls out the, the contract and starts reading all the fine print and Latin. And he says, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, good day, sir. And he slams everything down and kicks them out of his office. Remember what Charlie does? He's leaving and he turns around and he looks at Wonka and he takes that gobstopper, which would have made his family wealthy, and he takes it puts it on Wonka's desk and walks away. In other words, he admits that he was wrong. He confesses. Clearly, he's moved by it, and he's meek. And you remember how, how Willy Wonka responds? 
you win, Charlie. You win. And Charlie says, what do I win? And he says, everything. And he says, the chocolate? He says, the chocolate and the factory and everything. And he takes him to the Wonkavator and he goes and he shows him the whole world. You win, Charlie, not because you grasped for some stupid little gobstopper, but because you were able to give it up. Now think of your own life, your own sense that the petty things that you and I hold on to and grasp onto, and Jesus says, because of what I have done, you can give them up. In fact, you're going to have your best life if you do. You see, the great thing is you've heard me preach on this before, but the very first three Beatitudes, the first one is about confession, the second one is about contrition, and the third one is about change. And those three taken together are the very definition of repentance. If someone says, what does it mean to repent? It means confession and contrition and change. And so here's the, the, the main point here, is that if you want your best life, Your best life begins with repentance. And your best life continues and is a life that is constantly confessing, that is constantly contrite and constantly changing. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that as we continue in this service that you would continue uh, to move us. You move us um, from, from being just poor in spirit and just mourning to actually being meek and ultimately righteous and ultimately pure in heart and ultimately those who are willing to make peace. In Christ's name we pray all of these things. Amen.